I'm Wally. I'm Linda. And, and we, we are, are the, the Hatfields. Hatfields. I'm from Hoopston, Illinois. I'm originally from Gibson City. My parents built a house right across the street from her parents. And when I came home on Christmas leave, old mom would say, was waiting to meet the neighbor's daughter. I was already down here in school, so when we got married, it was natural to move down here. We just connected right away. We started attending <laughs> at John Street. She grew up in the Christian church, where I had grown up in the Methodist church. When our daughter was born, um, it, was, it was important to me that she have a grounding in faith. And so, you know, we'd been living kind of footloose and fancy free before that. And um, it just became important that, to me that she have that background, so. I was baptized in about 73. I had to worry that she might have paid the minister to hold him under for a little extra time. I'm not sure he's done. Dunk him again. It became our home. Um, and even when we weren't really that active in the early days, there were issues at different times until we felt that God was moving us to someplace else that we needed to stay. We needed to be faithful to where we were. And so we just have never felt that we needed to move on. Again, being faithful and, and coming all the time, you, you hear not just one or two sermons in a series, you hear the whole series, which is meant to be a get together. But I've just grown as a person, um, and my commitment has gotten stronger. Really begin to learn what it meant when Bob Phillips came here. And he really made a believer out of me. And I was one of many men standing at the back crying the day he retired. But he led me through my life. And got me to where I am now. I was going to say he made it understandable to you. Yeah. I've always felt a connection to God, and I always wanted to please him in my life. And as I've gotten older, I've realized that looking back, he has always been there for me. There's not a time that I have ever felt lost. I've never felt left. So to me, it's a no-brainer. Made me want to be faithful in return. Made me want to walk in the path that he's laid out and um, pour myself out for him. So yeah, other people have come alongside us all through our lives, uh, sometimes from unlikely places. Don't ever give up. You have to, you have to work at it if you want it to work. Uh, I would say, get in there and serve. You meet people that you wouldn't normally come across, 
Um, you make connections you wouldn't normally. And honestly, serving God is, it's a total joy. If something I do helps someone and at the same time serves God, oh my gosh, that's the best it gets. It's great if we can do things at church together, if we can serve together, that's awesome. But God didn't design us to be insular. We are supposed to reach out to other people and we are supposed to show God to other people. It's great to give your time, but God also needs you to understand that everything you have is His. So that means also giving of your tithes, uh, offerings of your, of your resources. A lot of people say, well, I just, you know, things are tied, I just don't have the money to do it. We used to be those people. And one day as the plate was going by and we dropped a $5 bill in, and it struck both of us. We went home and talked about it after church. But we realized that we had gone out to the movies that and weekend spent a lot more. and spent more than we put in the plate for God. And that, that was just like, wait a minute, that's, that's just not right. And so I would encourage people, if you think you can't tithe, work toward it. I believe it's just the fact I can talk to anybody. Never known them before or anything, and I could sit and talk with them for hours if they want. Uh, I hope that during that time I can start working little hints in there about what church do you go to? Have you got a church that you go to? We're, We're the Hatfields, Hatfields and, and this, this is our story. story. Except I need to do it again. <laughs> I thought it was great. That was great. That oh, was okay. Good. It worked. Okay. Awesome. We are so thankful for families like the Hatfields and families and individuals who serve here at First and in the community at large. Let me say welcome, and we're glad that you've joined us today at First. Whether you're joining us online or on Fox, or if you are at church where you are, maybe in your home or at work. You know, last week we began a series called First Things First, and it's so important for us because as a church, we are introducing our new mission statement, which we said our mission is helping each other follow Jesus. That's what we do as a church, helping each other follow Jesus. Because what we realized last week was as disciples of Jesus, Jesus invited people to follow after him in his way and his walk. Now our standard is love as a disciple, and we are the people who want to love God first and then as also love others as he would. And our response, of course, is accountability, that we are responsible to help advance the kingdom of God. That's who we are as disciples. And so personally, we paused for a moment and said, okay, time out, then what is a disciple? And this is what we said as a definition. It's someone who actively is actively loving God and others for the sake of advancing God's kingdom. 
Meaning that what we're supposed to be doing is, is of course, loving God and loving those around us, but it's for the action of advancing God's kingdom, God's will and God's way. And so today we want to unpack our first value as a church. Our first value as a church is foundational for us. It should, should be seen as communal, not only just as us as individuals. To think of our values as me and not we is to miss the value entirely. Our first value we want to embrace is this though. It's the value of being a loving community. As we help each other follow Jesus, we must become a loving community, a place of grace, if you will. So if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 2. Now, here's the context. In Mark chapter 2, what's happening, that the disciples or the followers that have been invited to follow the way of Jesus have begun to kind of go on tour, if you will. And Jesus has been healing people. First, uh, a man who's possessed by an evil spirit uh, in Capernaum. And then they begin to go throughout the countryside, healing those who are sick. What's happening, though, is there's a momentum gaining around Jesus, and he is now going back to a community where he has done one of his first miracles. Here's what it says in Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. He gathered, uh, they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a, a paralyzed man, uh, carrying, uh, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, here's the setting. Remember, there's momentum gaining and people are coming to see who Jesus is, to hear him teach, hopefully to see a miracle happen before their eyes. And Jesus has come back to a community that there's, there's already been one of these miraculous events. There's already been this impact of his life there. But so many had, had come to this person's home that it was packed to overflowing. It was a packed house, even out through the front door. And so there are four men with a friend who's paralyzed, Maybe they've heard, maybe they're hoping. All they know is that they, they believe that if they can get their friend to Jesus, that maybe they could have some healing. Maybe their friend could walk once again. And so the four men begin to do what they can. They begin to tear the roof off of the place. Now here's, here's two shocking moments out of this scenario. First and foremost, these men begin to wreck the roof. The exclusion of the crowd has created an interesting dynamic. Those who are really wanting to hear from Jesus actually have packed in so much that they're now excluding people, not intentionally, but the ones who need Jesus can't get to him. Now, in Jesus's day, the homes were built in such a way out of mud and thatch, kind of like a stucco. But not only did people have public gatherings in the building, but you could actually go up to the roof, a flat roof, and people could gather up there if need be. 
These men have now climbed on top of this roof and they begin to wreck the roof. And so imagine Jesus is teaching inside. There's a packed house where everybody is. And suddenly they begin to hear banging and clanging on this roof. This stucco begins to break apart, dust particles and chunks and, and all this debris begins to fall. It'd be a shocking moment. I mean, demo is never a clean process, but Jesus is still teaching in the midst of this mess. The second issue though, that may be shocking is though, Jesus sees this man who's lowered down on this mat, who cannot walk. And Jesus says, hey, your sins are forgiven. Now, the friends, I'm sure, who brought their paralyzed friend to Jesus were hoping that this man could walk. Now, in Jesus' day, unfortunately, there was, some, there was some bad thinking that was going on that oftentimes it was assumed that someone's ailment, somebody's injury, or somebody's inability to do something was caused because of sin in their life. But Jesus speaks directly to his deepest need. Jesus speaks to the issue of sin while others are obviously wondering, can Jesus heal this man? A shocking tearing down of the roof, a shocking statement of forgiveness, but Jesus continues to press on. It says this in verse six. Now, some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this, this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. So he says to them, he addresses their motives. Why are you thinking these things? Well, which is easier to say? To say to the paralyzed man, hey, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But what I want you to know is that the son of man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Here was really where the plot begins to thicken, doesn't it? This is where Jesus begins to press in a little bit. The teachers of the law are scattered throughout the room. Maybe they've heard of Jesus' miracles. Maybe they've heard of Jesus' teaching. It was common for the religious leaders of the day to follow other rabbis, to, to hear other teachers, and to validate their content. Is what he's saying true? Does he good, have a good handle on the scriptures? Does he have authority to really speak into situations like this? And so they're critiquing, they're evaluating. And all of a sudden, when he begins to speak that he's giving the forgiveness of sins, their ears perk up. Only one has the ability to forgive sins, and that's God and God alone. But Jesus makes it more shocking when he presents this conundrum of well, what do you want? I mean, which is easier for me to say, your sins are forgiven, or for me to say, hey, take up your mat and walk? Both is a miracle for sure. One can be publicly seen, one maybe not so much. But Jesus is doing something in this moment that he is trying to make sure everyone knows and it's for him to be understood for the authority of God that he is. And his ability to forgive sins reveals the authority of Jesus. Let me say that again. The ability to forgive sins reveals the, the authority of Jesus. I like this word authority because literally it's defined as the rightful, actual, unimpeded power to act. If anyone has the power to do this, if anyone has the right to do this, if anyone is authorized to make this happen, it's Jesus. 
Mark in his gospel is trying to reveal the very nature of Jesus. More than a teacher, more than a man, this is the authoritative one from God who has this ability. Ten different times the word authority is used because here's what Mark is trying to make sure everybody knows. Here's who Jesus is. Jesus is the son of God, fully man, fully God. He lives a sinless, blameless life. His death on the cross pays for our sins. It gives us life everlasting. He's the one who holds the power over death and forgiveness. We hold no authority in our lives alone except for the authority that Jesus gives us when he sends us, when he sends us out to go make disciples, to remind us that we will be validated as his followers when we live this life of love. So Jesus then turns to the man. They're in this tense moment of which is easier, forgiveness or healing? And Jesus turns to the man and he says, well, let's do both, right? The room is still filled with dust and demo work. Friends are peering down from the ceiling and the mess that they've made to, to hope that something might help their friend. Crowds are packed in to hear what Jesus might say next. And here's the words of Jesus. So he says to the man, I tell you, get up, take up your mat and go home, leave. So he got up. He took his mat and he walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. We've never seen anything like this. Someone who has the authority to forgive sins and one who has the ability to heal those in need. Well, the truth of the matter is, if the ability to forgive sins reveals the authority of Jesus, then the ability to heal confirms the authority of Jesus. I mean, let's be honest. How do we know when we can see if somebody's really been forgiven or not? That's so subjective. But if you see someone who cannot walk now rise and go home, you see the very power of God in front of you. So let's unpack this. Just, let's just summarize this. Everyone is there in this home to see Jesus, to hear his teaching, to hopefully see a, a miraculous moment. The religious leaders are so focused on getting to see Jesus that they have helped pack this room and those who need to get to Jesus are somehow excluded. But four friends, four friends with someone in need care so much about their friend that they would wreck the roof to get them to Jesus. So let me ask you this question. Who is the loving community? Who, who's the one that really loves? I think obviously we'd all say, well, it's got to be the four guys, right? The four guys who brought the man in on, on, on his mat. I mean, maybe they had heard Jesus before. Maybe they, maybe they had hoped that one of the miracles that had been talked about would, would happen to their friend. But all we know is this is that they have come to place the full weight of their friend at the feet of Jesus to say, God, can you move? And Jesus does. And we should not be surprised about what happens when we bring our friends to Christ. I mean, this is the very heartbeat of Jesus's mission, isn't it? 
Jesus tells of one parable in scripture where he talks about a man walking down a road that gets robbed and beaten. And Jesus speaks of a neighbor, someone who doesn't know him, doesn't have the same political or ethnic background, but goes out of his way to meet that person's need, to go care for that one. Jesus tells a group of parables where he talks about a shepherd who has a hundred sheep and he loses one. And he leaves the 99 behind to go chase the one. A woman has 10 coins. She loses one. She frantically scours until she finds that one and returns it home. A father has two sons. And one of the sons goes off and lives a wild and rebellious life. And a father longs for, even pursues his rebellious son. The same mission the same heartbeat that these four friends have are resonating in the very mission of who Jesus is to go reach the one. The value of a loving community is at the heart of Jesus. How do I know this? Because of the way he responds to the friends. Look, look at what it says in verse five if we go back. Jesus saw their faith and he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Their faith, his dilemma, God's action in their life. Jesus didn't forgive his sins because of, the, because of the friend's faith, but Jesus forgave his sins in the context of his friend's faith. Jesus always leads with love. He treats this man with dignity. He addresses his need, restores his life. Jesus connects and cares for everyone that's in his arm's reach. No matter their interest, no matter their understanding. And we know this because God is love. And we are to show God's love, the love that we've experienced. Intentionally relational disciples begin to be very intentional about the relationships around this. And this is who we should be as a church. So this is how we define our first value. To be a loving community. A loving community, we will lead with love to instill dignity and relationship for all people. Now, I, I like this word dignity. I do. This word dignity really uh, is the state or quality of being worthy of honor or respect. It's beyond looking somebody in the eye. It's beyond just trying to meet people where there are. It's to walk with them, to honor them as they are, and to lead them to Jesus. Because that's what we're all doing, right? We're helping each other follow Jesus. As I follow Jesus, as you follow Jesus, as we follow Jesus, we grow and become the people that God has called us to be. So what's this tangibly look like? When it comes to our cadence in the world, as disciples, as Christ followers, all that we are and all that we have begins with love. We need to be the kind of people that live out both truth and grace, held together in the tension of love. We afford people the chance to ask questions, to wrestle with their doubts, to grieve the difficulties of life. People will belong well before they ever believe and we will make space for people to be able to do so.
We will meet people as they are. And we will point them directly to Jesus. We will pursue intentional relationships with all people. People should not be seen as random or accidental encounters, but divinely inspired encounters. All people deserve deserve to know God's love. And we should be bringing God's love to all people. As Jesus followers, as disciples, we must realize that we bring love to the world. We bring relationship to others. We meet God where he already is at work in our world through our relationships. And when we say we are a loving community, we mean that we are a Jesus community within the community at large. So let me give you kind of three arenas of community if we can. Maybe how we can begin to live out this understanding of a loving community. The three arenas are this, the public arena, the pew arena, and the personal arena. Yes, I worked on three illustrations. Here we go. Alliterations, excuse me. The public should be understood as this. It's the crowd at large. Like Jesus, we need to prioritize trying to reach the one, reaching someone who may be far from God, who who doesn't know God's love. And there is an entire world, many who haven't even heard the name of Jesus. As a church, we intentionally try and reach into the world around us, into the public arena around us, if you will. As a church, that's why we partnered with See You Better Together to provide meals to local households. That's why we send out the go truck, whether it's the local high school or outreach events to just randomly bless the community without any expectation back other than to be available in relationship. We intentionally go into the public arena to be a light in the darkness, to be love in a world full of hate, to be the kind of people that introduce the love of God to people around us. The question becomes, where in the crowd at large can we make an impact? Where can we be the church where we live, work, and play? When we talk about the pews, what we're talking about is this. We're talking about the congregation that we attend. Now, I'll just be straight with you if I can. Not everyone who watches us online or on Fox attends First Christian Church. But if you are a Christ follower and you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, every Christ follower should be attached to a local body of faith. We're a part of the body of Christ collective. And so maybe you're at church at home and maybe you uh, begin to wrestle with where can I plug in? Maybe you're looking for a church home and you're welcome to join us here at first. But it's in the local church that we begin to deepen and mature our relationships. So as a church, this is why we offer groups where people can grow and walk with one another. This is why we have have greeters when you enter the door so that relationship can begin, that we can be hospitable. We can serve coffee and bagels or donuts, whichever location you attend. We offer volunteer opportunities to, to play in the band, to sing, to serve in the kids area, to connect with students. But we intentionally create loving environments through our congregation so that those far from God may be welcome. And they may, can, they may be able to learn about who Jesus is. So let me ask you, what in our congregation or your congregation do you do to make an impact? What do you do to help create a loving community? But the last portion is this. It's the personal arena. 
It's the core relationships that are around us. Literally, it's the, it's the relationships within arm, arm's reach. Maybe it's a parent on your kid's ball team. Maybe it's a coworker across the cubicle. Uh, maybe it's a, a teacher that invests in your student. Uh, maybe it's the host or hostess that serves you at the restaurant. I'll just be transparent. Some of the personal friends of mine are like Ashley and Izzy, two of my friends who work at a local sports bar that I frequent on a regular basis. And even through this COVID time, I've tried to keep a relationship going. I've tried to keep conversation going there because they matter to me. I believe they matter to God. And every Jesus follower should always have at least one person who they are praying for, serving, or reaching out to, connecting with, so that they might know Jesus. Every one of us have come to faith because somebody poured into us. We were somebody else's one that they reached out to. And that's why as a church, we do things like, we talk about investing in and inviting people to church. That's why we talk about intentionally blessing people around us, caring for them, being God's love in their life. Let me ask you, who within your personal reach, your personal arena, your core relationships, do you need to impact? See, as a church, if we're gonna be followers, not just individually, but communally, who help each other follow Jesus, and the first foundational way we want to do that is by creating a loving community, we must do this together. Every one of us, in the public arena, in the pews of our congregations, in the personal reach of our lives, we must be the ones to set the standard of love and to live out the accountability to bring God's kingdom to others' people. You know, friends, we want to move to a time of response. And maybe today we're actually in a moment where we're pausing and just saying, you know, I, I need to make some decisions. You know, we, we encourage you on a regular basis to go to fcc-online.org forward slash Sunday because there are resources for, for you to connect, to make decisions. And today maybe it's, you're going to ask for prayer. For some of us as a follower, we we know we need to make a decision of faith to follow Jesus. And maybe that's in the decision of baptism. Maybe that's in the decision of, uh, I need to serve. Maybe that's in the decision of just, I need, I need to figure out how to get into the word to begin to grow at what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But fcc-online.org forward slash Sunday is a place for you to take those next steps to begin to communicate with us how we can help support you as we follow Jesus together. One of the most beautiful pictures of what we do in this response time is we, we take time to take communion. Maybe you have a, 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 a cup of juice, maybe a piece of bread in your home. If you're gathering, us with one, gathering with us at one of our locations, we, we've given you these uh, little packets where you can tear off the top and take the bread. This resembles what Jesus did on the night that he was betrayed. He took a piece of bread and he said, this is my body, 
It is broken for you. He was speaking about his death, his burial that was to come. And he said, take and eat, do in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the juice. He said, this is my blood poured out for you. It was a picture of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And since the ascension of Jesus, the birth of the church, early Christians have been pausing to eat the bread and to drink the juice. We gather around a table, whether literally or just in our mindset, that all of us belong to the kingdom of Jesus. That his death, his burial, his resurrection is enough to pay for our sins. And now we follow after him. The last way that we respond in this response time is through our giving. Now I can tell you just straight up in this moment of COVID that this has been a moment of faith for us as a church. As we've not been gathering together on a weekly basis, we have had to trust that God would provide and God has provided. But I will tell you that needs continue to mount in our local community. And while we are as a church postured to help and to serve, it is through the obedience of God's people that we're able to bless and go above and beyond. And so I wanna encourage you today, if you've never used the Give app to do that, if you've been a part of the process of, of giving on a regular basis or, or giving it all, let me say a huge thank you because you have helped sustain and advance the kingdom of God through your generosity. But every one of us as a follower of Jesus have both the privilege to give of our time, our talent, and our treasure that as disciples, we follow in the sacrificial way of Jesus, being generous who to give all of ourselves to God for his glory and his honor. And so maybe today, maybe today it's about giving a gift to responding in faith so that we can continue to impact the community at large, to serve and care for those within our body and to be able to help continue to advance and reach those within our own reach. Friends, let's take a moment to close with prayer and then we'll continue in our worship. God, take our lives. Help us be the people like in this passage. Help us to find a few friends that'll spur us on to go reach others. God, help us to be the people that would be courageous enough to wreck the roof, to do whatever it takes to bring our friends to you. But God, help us also see that through a lens of being a follower, a disciple. That God, we are raising the standard of love that you have set through your son and that we are taking responsibility. We are accountable to be the people to help advance that mission. God, it's our prayer that your kingdom come, that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So God, shape our church, shape the church at large into your likeness led by the power of your spirit, rooted in the depth of your word, fueled by the prayers of the saints. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.